Hello, and welcome to Storytelling, the bi-weekly podcast hosted by myself, Fred Rojas, uh, about, well, basically, um, stories of my life and how they somewhat relate to gaming, but I'd be lying if I said that that is kind of the genesis of this. Um, this is more for me to reflect on and process, I don't know, the things that have happened in my life and kind of share them with everybody out there. Uh, I, I know that that can be a little interesting to some people. People wonder why you would want to share intimate details about your life and, and, and things about growing up. But I don't know, I've always been of the opinion that none of that stuff is sacred. Nobody's stories are unique per se. They're just, well, nothing that happens to you is unique, but your perspective on it always is. Um, and as such, I think I should open this whole thing up by saying that this is nothing more than my perspective. Uh, as we know, um, both scientifically and just from living through it, uh, stories change with time. Perspective changes. I might see a situation very differently than, say, another person in that situation. Let's say a breakup. I might see it one way. My ex-girlfriend might see it another, uh, especially if she's dumping me or if I'm dumping her. Uh, and so I would say all those things have to be taken with a grain of salt. Uh, the last thing I would say, and um, you know, I will, I will open every episode this way, is that the topics discussed here may be of a somewhat adult nature. Uh, there may be some foul language. There may be some adult situations. It depends on what I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think that it's appropriate for people of all ages. That being said, I do think it's important to note that, um, you know, once somebody is of a certain age of maturity and or understanding, um, to shelter them from the real world is almost a disservice. Uh, and so, I, and that is an experience that will be discussed tonight as I discuss my own parents. Yes, that's right. Episode one called Parents. It's going to be about my upbringing and my own parents. Um, and then probably shed a lot of light on the significance of certain video games in my life. So um, if you are familiar or like to use the term TMI or too much information, like you've learned a little too much about a person, uh, than you intended to, then I don't recommend you listen to this. I can't necessarily say I'm going to go into any quote unquote gory details. Um, but I will make information pertinent as I deem it necessary to do so. And I think with that, um, we should kick it off. So here comes episode one, Parents. So I was born um, in 1982 out in Kansas City, Missouri, um, to two parents. I was the oldest. Um, obviously, I was born of two parents. Everybody is. Uh, they were married, um, and uh, I, my father and I share uh, common names. Um, you know, I, I really have to say, um, out of the relationship, my mother is probably the more... Um, grounded of the two individuals. She really appreciates um, fighting for the underdog. She's always been, been a big proponent of equality for women, which will hold very important to me in my life, especially as we enter into today. Um, and she's definitely been somebody who thinks there is a key art to success. Um, but I think whether she likes it or not, um, to a certain extent, and whether those have been things that were ingrained in her from her upbringing or incidentals, um, 
She holds different standards for men than women, or at least she did in my case, but it's hard to tell. I am the oldest of three and I have two sisters, so I have no basis for comparison as to what would have happened if one of those sisters had been a brother. That being said, um, there was always this push for me. I was I was kind of the overachiever out of the three of them, especially academically. And so there was always this push of like, good for you on your straight A's, good for you on your uh, gifted classes, good for you for nailing the SATs, picking a good college, thing like things like that. Um, there was always a, a slight. I would not say she was against the idea of me doing artistic things. But I would also say she wasn't thinking that that would lead to my future, um, which I guess, given the fact that I currently now work as an uh, information systems uh, financial analyst uh, for a for a health system, is is probably somewhat accurate. Um, but uh, you never know, uh, depending on how you get supported, um, especially in America, uh, both financially and emotionally, uh, it can lead to you know, the walk of life you, you find yourself in. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so the reason I bring that up is for example, uh, I wanted to be an actor, uh, and in high school I had a penchant for acting. Didn't think I did. Um, but then tried out for a couple of plays and found, uh, a, a decent amount of success. Uh, I really enjoyed playing Mercutio in Romeo and Juliet. Um, my mom wasn't against this. She was very proud of me. She came and saw my performance, really enjoyed it. Uh, said I did a really great job. Um, but the buck stopped with the dream of like, like, what do you want to do? Well, I live near Chicago. I kind of wanted to get out to the city, take DePaul's acting school. It's a, it's a Catholic school, but it's, it's well known for its acting program. And you could get in with some really good theaters, potentially even Second City, if you wanted to go the improv route. I wasn't quite sure that was where I wanted to go. Um, but again, she would uh, go, mm, you know, Maybe, maybe not so much. You have this intellect, you have this intelligence, you can apply that to a more calculated uh, profession. And then you can, you know, do that as a side gig, right? I'm sure the improv will take people on the weekends, an open mic night, if you will. Um, on the other hand, my sister, uh, who never really excelled too well in uh, dancing, but definitely had a passion for it. She was uh, deeply involved in that. Um, to this day, uh, she wants to be a full-time dancer, and and being that she's in her uh, mid to late twenties, uh, I don't know if that's in the cards, especially as a profession. But uh, she's certainly welcome to try. But to this day, she's not unemployed. She just hasn't made it big yet, right? And and, and we have people like that, and it's funny, right? Because we criticize those people until they're like Harrison Ford, and at thirty years old, suddenly become the uh, the lead in Star Wars and uh, magically maybe we were all fools and so that's why I don't hold out um, hope for my sister or I hold out hope for my sister that if if that is where her path is supposed to lead her that's where she'll end up um, but like I said uh, the same thing with my other sister she wanted to be a horseback rider well I don't know if there's a whole lot of equestrian careers out there I'm, I imagine there's a very scant few um, but my mom supported that tooth and nail Meanwhile, I had to find my own ride home after uh, play practice. And again, I need to stress that at that time in her life, my mother was a single mother because my parents had divorced. Spoilers, my parents divorced in this story. Um, and uh, and as a result, uh, 
she really didn't have the resources to take me to and from places, especially as a 17-year-old after school. And I did have my own car. So, you know, again, I'm not criticizing her for it. I have no right to. She's my parent. She's my mother. She's the one who predominantly raised me. Uh, I have nothing but respect and admiration for everything she did for me. Um, but the, the reason I bring these things up is to kind of explain the grounded nature of it, which you might think would lead her to be against me... Um, being into video games, but not really. She always just thought it was like a hobby kind of thing. And she liked that I played outside and I had lots of friends and I did other things. I was uh, huge into biking, um, most notably because it was like having a car when you lived about two miles from downtown. Um, and I did, uh, not downtown uh, Kansas City or Chicago, actually. I was in the northern suburbs, but there was like a downtown area of our northern suburb. And... Um, and uh, it was within biking distance, so we would often go down there. There was a Burger King, there was uh, which which was a big place to hang out at. Believe it or not, uh, there was a strip mall that had both a video store and a uh, candy shop that sold comics, baseball cards, and eventually magic cards. Uh, it would probably be known as a tabletop store these days. Um, Plus, there was even a theater up the street. You put all those things together, and you know it makes a lot of sense why we would, as as, as like uh, preteens, twelve year olds, um, want to go do that. And in the early '90s, it was completely normal for a twelve year old to get on his bike with four of his friends and go uptown, do stuff like that. So, um, but like, yeah, she was definitely uh, the biggest pusher of me. My first job, like real quote unquote job job was working in the emergency department as a registration clerk um, at uh, Highland Park Hospital in Highland Park, Illinois uh, at 17. And so and I was working the evening shift three to 11 p.m. Uh, four days a week. So it was basically full time uh, at making like $15 an hour. So I was, I was doing pretty good in high school. Um, but uh, but again, like <laughs> how many high school kids are doing that? Most guys are just trying to figure out how to get laid. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's my mother. Uh, but again, in this story, my mother could play the, I guess, the stronger parent. She always had my best interest in mind at heart. Uh, you might not be off base if, especially in high school, I was referred to as somewhat of a mama's boy. Um, but I didn't hide behind my mom's skirt or anything. I fought my own battles, uh, any any fights of which there were very few. Oh, I fought those tooth and nail, whether I got my ass kicked. I uh, never beat anyone up, but uh, definitely got beaten up a couple times. <laughs> Didn't hide behind my mom's skirt by any stretch of the imagination. But at the same time, um, I came to her with any of my problems. She was always there to listen and, and, and lend a caring ear. She trusted me vehemently um, at a time where uh, most of my peers probably couldn't have a 27-inch television with a DVD player, buy R-rated DVDs, and have girls, specifically girlfriends of long-term relationships, up in their bedroom with the door closed and locked. And, you know, I mean, those of us who were in high school, the reality is if you're going to do anything uh, risque, sex, sexy type stuff, um, that was going to happen whether you were up in a locked bedroom or not. I think my mom just liked the idea that we were trying to be responsible enough, and if anything was going to happen, it was probably going to be there. Um, the irony of the whole situation being that the only thing that 
you know, really didn't make me attracted to um, sexual activity as a teenager was being up in my bedroom when I knew my mom and sisters were downstairs. So she kind of got the last laugh on that one. Um, But again, it just shows a a great deal of respect for privacy. And uh, in return, I kind of returned the favor. I never really got into any real bouts with the law, never did too much illegal activity, nothing too racy, didn't get anybody pregnant. I was quite responsible, had pretty much the same girlfriend the whole time. And And uh, I kind of came and went uh, when it was expected for me to come and go. Kept my grades up, got to college, yada, yada. So I guess I would say, in the end, my relationship with my mother comes down to kind of what, (laughs) it's an unfortunately named, but like a gentleman's agreement that we would mutually respect and appreciate one another. And uh, in return... Um, you know, I, I paid it forward. I helped, especially once the divorce happened, I helped clean the house, helped get my sisters in place, maybe took them to and from places, even started dinner a lot. My mother worked as a uh, human resources director uh, out in uh, the Chicago suburbs. So um, she definitely was juggling a lot with three kids at home. And, um, you know, we'll get to my dad in a minute, but he was not in the mood to help out. Uh, and that that would be very common for him. Um <clears throat> Although this story doesn't end with me resenting or uh, saying much negative stuff about my dad either. So there you go. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so like I said, we, we had kind of a peaceful understanding, but I was given a lot of freedoms for a high school boy. And in return, uh, I kind of tried to, you know, live up to uh, justifying those freedoms. And I think that worked out pretty well. Um, but here's where we get to the crux of the whole thing. Um, do I think my mother would have been more proud if I had, um, or even equally as proud, if I had become a Second City starlet, maybe even getting a, a part-time shot uh, in some sort of touring play or, God forbid, you know, television or movies? Probably not, you know? I mean, she's never really measured success by money. She always thinks money is just, you know, enough to get by. You should be comfortable, but you shouldn't be, uh, uh, you know, destroying yourself. Uh, and that's kind of where I've, I've, I fit in life, so I kind of fit in her mold. Um, but, but, but I didn't do it for her. It just worked out that way. Um, but I don't think my mom would have been one of those chase-the-dream kind of people. Um, in the same regard, she really didn't care that I was good or bad at video games. She really just didn't care that I played video games too, too much. Although there is a cool story I can tell real quick um, about one of the moments where my mom took a a great leap of faith that kind of worked for both of us. And it's one of the coolest experiences of my childhood um, in terms of video games. But but yeah, if I got a a high score and took a picture of it, you used to take a Polaroid of them and send them to Nintendo Power or Atari Age or whatever. Um, She didn't really care. Um, you know, she, she was always very positive. She didn't like, she wasn't like, Freddie, why'd you do that? She was just like, oh, good for you. But I just, you know, she didn't say it, but she just didn't really care. You know, there was no, there was no achievement really to be had from that. You know what I mean? Um, but, uh, but there was a cool time where, uh, so I lived in, in the northern suburbs. Um, I might as well come out and say it so you can look it up. Uh, I lived in Mundelein, um, but Mundelein is right next to Libertyville. And I went to Libertyville High School. It was in that school district. And Libertyville is where a lot of my stomping grounds from, from high school uh, will happen. And it's a pretty well-to-do suburb in the north uh, part of Chicago. Um, it, it's up by the lake. 
uh, we're not right next to the lake. That would be Lake Forest. That's in all the John Hughes movies, but we're close enough. We are um, probably hated upon as like, uh, you know, if, if you don't like the uh, the bougie, um, you know, kind of like preppy boys. Um, there were a couple Porsches in my parking lot of my high school, I guess is what I would say. Um, I didn't fit that mold. Uh, Mundelein was a little more modest, but still very well to do. Um, Mundelein only was a, a negative uh, substitute if you lived in Libertyville. Otherwise, I think the rest of the world would find it quite nice. Um, And we lived, you know, picture portrait of American family, white picket fences, uh, you know, uh, three bedroom, two story um, with the you know, with the, uh, the, the, we were on a cul-de-sac. We had barbecues in the middle of the, you know, neighborhood, lots of fun, lots of house parties and not the rowdy kind of house parties, like lots of like adults getting together to have a couple of drinks, uh, while the kids are out of, out of, you know, out of the house. Maybe they'd send the kids across the street to another kid's house to hang out at while the party was going on. And then one babysitter to rule them all, you know, things like that. Um, there was a cool pond, right behind us. So across the street from our cul-de-sac was a park. It was a really, really cool park. And God, I wish I could identify it right now. I can't. I I remember it distinctly. I just don't remember. I remember I lived on, uh, I'm not even going to go. Yeah, I don't know if I should mention it that much, but I remember I lived, you know, uh, in in a really nice neighborhood, and I remember this park distinctly had a large wrought iron, but it was painted yellow, so it looked nice, like horse, and you could climb on this thing. This thing was like ten feet in the air, and it had these crazy like monkey bars that were like big arches, and behind there was a big pond, like a big pond. You wouldn't swim in this pond. It was a retention pond to be sure, but it was. I mean, it was it was large. It was. Um, you know, I don't know, if you got in a canoe and rode, it'd probably take you five minutes to cross it. You know, it's a decent amount of space. And behind that were cornfields. Well, if anybody knows anything about the early 90s, um, if you've got a park across the street, you've got nightfall, you've got the freedom that the 90s afforded with children. Like, we, there was no cell phones, there were no pagers, it was just go out and have fun and make sure to come home at your curfew, which oftentimes in the summer was 9, 10 o'clock, even when I was 12 years old. So, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. You could get into some some fun, but not trouble. There was a baseball diamond there. There was a, a par- again, there was uh, the pond. And then there was the cornfields, which we were never supposed to go in. But of course, we went and ran through those cornfields from time to time. There's a forest beyond that. And yes, we did find um, penthouses on the ground and stuff like that. But, you know, that was kind of like the upbringing. And especially... Um, when we bought that house circa 1989, um, let's see, I would have been seven. Um, but the more formative years were probably um, 1990, 91, um, when I really started to get into my teens. Um, but anyway, my parents were together at that time period. I think it was right around 1996, five, six, my parents divorced. I can't remember. So, you know, it was one of those things where I was just old enough that like I was more like this needs to happen. They, they needed to separate. And I won't get into why they separated. It's not, we'll call it irreconcilable differences. There was nothing bad. There was no cheating. There was no big drama. Nobody hit anybody. Um, but they, they, you know, my mother didn't accept my father for certain faults he had. And my father um, kind of phoned in parts of marriage and uh, fatherhood. And I, I think that became the breaking point. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so my mom single and um 
Jones Intercable at the time. I think they'll later get bought by Comcast. Uh, so they were introducing this thing called the Sega Channel. And I had a Sega Genesis. I was a big Sega Genesis kid. And this had to have been post-Mortal Kombat. So this was this was between this was after 93, definitely. So I think it was 94, 95. Um they had the Sega channel and it was $15 a month, I believe. Maybe $25, but I'm I'm pretty sure it was $15. And you had to put a $50 deposit. And I remember having to take my own money, uh, like birthday money or Christmas money. Um, my birthday is near Christmas, so that's easy. And um and and I had to give my mom the 50 bucks uh as a deposit. Again, you got it back. She knew I was getting it back, but she always wanted to like bestow that responsibility on me. I really wish she had carried that forward to my sisters. It would have helped them later in life. Um, but you know, as somebody who's a parent now, I can see how the second, especially the third, you 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 do the best you can, but you can't do it all. And again, at the time, the separation between my sisters and me, I should probably mention it because it's probably relevant. Um, I am four years older than my middle sister. And I am 10 and a half years older than my youngest. Yes, my parents got pregnant with my littlest sister. Uh, ironically, right around the time they wanted to divorce, they stayed together till roughly the birth of my sister and into her first birthday. I, I bet there was a an agreement to try to make it work. And then things just ended. Um... And so, yeah, so with all that in mind, my mom was like, okay, I don't have to, the deal was she wouldn't buy me video games anymore. I didn't get, and she wasn't trying to get done with video games. It was just, I came to her with the Sega channel and this was her pitch. Her pitch was, so what does this thing do? And I said, every month I get 50 new games I can play. And that's what it was. And uh, she goes, okay, so if you got 50 new games, there's no reason for me to buy you video games. You should use your money for other things, either save it up or uh, do various other things with it. Um, I have other interests, uh, but I don't see why you should buy video games if you're getting 50 a month. And that was hard to argue with. So the deal was she would pay the $15 a month for my Sega channel. And in return, I would not buy or ask for as a gift from anyone a video game, which was fair. Uh, the downside is the Sega channel only lasts for about nine to 12 months and then I'm back to the drawing board again, but that's okay. The PlayStation came out, things worked itself out. Um, but for the time, yeah, the Sega channel was fantastic. And what it was, was think about, it almost looked like, uh, have you ever seen the power base converter on the Genesis? It looked kind of like that. It was a Sega cart uh, on the bottom, kind of like the, the undercarriage of the 32X that goes into the cart slot. But on the top was this big old boxy, I, I'm sure it was just RAM chips, and it said Sega Channel on it. It had a big white logo. And the Sega Channel guy, if you've never seen him, he was a blue stick figure that kind of had like a boxy head with, I think he had spiky hair, but I might be making that part up. And he might have had glasses, but I might also be making that part up. There's a lot of 90s pop culture that kind of looked like this. And he had like the Sega Channel cart in his one hand and it had a wire that attached to the Sega Genesis controller on the other. And you plug this thing in and it had a cable that came out. So like back in the day, and, and this is probably true of a lot of cable still for those that have it, the cable comes into the wall through a coaxial cable. That's that screw-on connection. And it goes into your cable box, which descrambles the signal and gives you the channels. Well, if you got other services, now it would be probably cable internet, but back in the day, it would be something like Sega Channel. They would split the signal. So right after the cable came in from the wall, there would be a splitter. It had one in, two out. And one end would go into the, the Sega Channel cart, 
They literally screwed into the back of the cart like a like a cable modem. And the other end would go into the cable box. And there you had it. And so when you booted this thing up, it would contact home base and basically generate a menu. You would pick the game. It would download the game to the game's RAM. And there was a there was only one button on it. There was an LED that lets you know it had power. Uh, I think it had its own AC adapter. So you had to plug in plug it into the wall as well. Um and uh, and then we, there was a reset button, or it might have been called a menu button, and it brought you back to the main menu. But you could load up these games, you could play them. Uh, to, to just put things in perspective as to how useless this would be today, what it was just downloading was, it was like a flashcard. It just downloaded the, the ROM of the cartridge into RAM. Uh, the interesting thing was, um, you couldn't save, right? It was, <laughs> it was just a flashcard. It didn't have save spa- spots. There was no way to transfer your save. So when they gave us Fantasy Star 3, it didn't really matter because unless you were never going to turn that thing off, and to be clear, service interruptions were a little bit common back then in the early uh, early to mid 90s so uh once there was a service interruption it would reboot itself anyway so there was no way you were playing through it but you know what they were kind enough to give us that shining in the darkness i think even beyond oasis at one point so there were games that you just weren't gonna beat but they were there they were there um but yeah so uh but at the same time, uh, the Sega Channel had uh, some really cool rarities. Uh, one of those would be Time Killers. I don't know if you ever played Time Killers, but Time Killers was made in the, uh, again, the post-Mortal Kombat era. I want to say roughly 94. And um, it was very cartoony. And you were different people from different dimensions uh, uh, that were different races and um, all kinds of stuff. There's Mantis, who's a big praying mantis. There was like a caveman. There was like a future person who had laser swords. Um, there were, you know, there were all kinds of crazy stuff. And the big thing about this uh, game was you could cut off limbs. This was in the arcades first, by the way. So people ate it up. You could cut off limbs. And then at a certain point, you could um, initiate at any time in the battle a fatality if you knew it and you'd cut off all their limbs their head their both their arms and their leg or and their and their head and i think you could cut off legs also but i don't think it was part of the fatality quote unquote i never knew how to perform any of those things but you could accidentally do it very easily well time killers obviously wasn't going to get ported to the super nintendo i think they would later fold and do um mortal kombat 2 but at this time, or maybe for whatever reason, um, it didn't come to the Super Nintendo. It came to the Sega Genesis. It wasn't a great port, and it wasn't a great game to begin with. But it was really hard to find on store shelves, and then Toys R Us made a big deal out of it. Like, your parents had to basically say, I am signing to be a bad parent. And while I never tested my mom on that, she was always the one who was, like, hesitant about violent games, especially how it made her look in public. She never really cared about her reputation. She would stand up to anyone in public. She didn't give a shit. But, but, but... She also didn't want to be the parent that bought the kid Call of Duty at nine, right? So, um, so there was no chance I was getting time killers. I didn't even ask her. I didn't want to put her. In, I didn't want to put her in that position. You know what I'm saying? Um, <clears throat> although six months later, I would ask her to buy me Splatterhouse, and the only difference was Toys R Us didn't make a big deal out of it. Um, but uh, Splatterhouse won on the Turbo Graphics, by the way. I never asked her for two or three. Um, but at the same time. Uh, the Sega Channel had it. So when the Sega Channel got Time Killers, I got to play Time Killers, right? And, I, and, and it made me kind of popular with the neighborhood kids. Even the kid with the Super Nintendo who always thought he had the better system. And, you know, you'd get into fucking spats in the middle of the, the, the playground over it. And they were never big spats. Maybe a couple 
fists were thrown, but this wasn't like real, like bloody bruised cheeks fights. These were stupid wrestle fights that usually the, the, the person on the recess grounds would break up or, or something like that. It wasn't anything. It wasn't something to write home about. Um, you definitely didn't end up in the principal's office. So there you go. That, that tells you how light it was right there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that was cool. Uh, we also got Mega Man The Wily Wars, and I remember uh, booting it up. And uh, if you want to know what the difference is between what people think now and what people think then. So if you don't know, Mega Man The Wily Wars is a somewhat 16-bit HD remake of sorts. Uh, Mega Man 1, 2, remaster, shall I say, of Mega Man 1, 2, and 3. That was significant for two reasons. One, Mega Man 1, 2, and 3 was only on the NES. So this was it on a Sega console. Cool. Uh, the second thing was it was the updated spruced up 16 bit graphics um but it was still the same game same level design and everything the other thing was it only came out in europe i think there was a licensing deal nintendo might have pulled some strings i i was hoping game over would explain that or not uh, console wars would explain that where because tom kalinsky tells a lot of the stories of his side of it and i don't remember it ever coming up but Mega Man wily wars was only in um europe to my knowledge maybe it was in japan but uh, i don't know for sure uh, I'm sure that's a, a Google search away. It's on the Wikipedia page. I'm, I'm certain of it. Um, but we didn't get it in America. And I, I did get it on the Sega channel. But, like, you didn't go down to the store and compare what was exclusive. You didn't get a newsletter that told you what was exclusive. Or maybe you did and my mom just threw it away. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I saw that pop up and I was like, what's the Wily Wars? And I remember booting it up and saying, oh, cool, it's got Sega Genesis graphics. And it just said, do you want to play Mega Man 1, 2, or 3? And I said, okay, let's pick Mega Man 2. I think it was 2 because 2 was always my favorite even back when I was a kid and i remember booting it up booting up egg airman's stage that was where i always started i don't think that's the ideal path but airman's where i always started with with my buddy mike who i grew up with um and i remember going this is stupid this is mega man 2 i have it upstairs on my nes i don't need this and i turned it off and i thought that was the stupidest thing they could have ever done i didn't understand why they did it and for the record i absolutely was aware of mario all-stars it was already out my cousin had it and i loved it so who knows but for some reason i did not see the draw of mega man wily wars and there's probably several other games that were exclusive to the sega channel that i just didn't know about but the second channel was responsible for me playing a lot of games i probably never would have bought or rented and i got to experience and of note those would be road rash on the sega genesis right how cool was that uh, i thought even cooler than road rash was oh uh, so if you've not played road rash it is a motorcycle gang you you are on a motorcycle think of it as like a more realistic kind of mortal combat capturing a real human being version of like uh, hang on like a, a, a you know you're just uh, you know riding a motorcycle but hang on's more of a race racing thing this is more street racing of a motorcycle but you've got chains and stuff so you can beat each other up to win the race and whatnot but there's another game that came out called skitchen i think it was also electronic arts and skitchen was literally as it sounds you were on rollerblades holding onto the bumpers of cars marty mcfly style and beating the shit out of your buddies as they grabbed the same bumper. And uh, I <laughs> I remember it having a warning, like, kids don't do this at home. And we always wanted to know what it was like to skitch. We never did, though. I was always way too scared. Um, and I was a rollerblader, so sucker bladers roll. Um, but, um, but, yeah, like, skitching was the coolest game of all time. And I never would have rented or played that game had I not had the Sega channel. And like a buddy of mine picked it up one night. Um, I remember playing Joe Montana football. And the only reason I even cared was I was from Kansas City and my dad was still an avid Chiefs fan. 
And I was like, Joe Montana, yeah, I think he was the Chiefs quarterback for a while. Let's play this. Maybe he was even the Chiefs quarterback at the time that game came out. The sports fans will know. Um, this, this was also the place where I did play. Uh, I, I was never a big sports guy, but I did play a limited amount of sports in addition to these other games, which might have been considered sports, such as... Um, uh, what I get to play? I got to play uh, the Mutant League games, Mutant League Hockey and Mutant League uh, Football. Ironically, I like Mutant League Football more, but in the grand scheme of genre games, I like hockey games more. So, who knew? Um, I also got to play Haunting by Poltergeist for the first time, uh, thanks to the Sega Channel. And um, I think there are plenty of others, uh, but I just don't remember them. Um and uh, yeah, it, it was pretty cool while it lasted. And uh, that was pretty cool of my mom to take a chance on that and do that. She'll do that a couple more times when like, she puts a $100 deposit down so I can rent a Sega CD. Um, she, was, she was cool like that. Um, but she never understood it. She never got why I did it. Um, she never, never found it amusing. Never. Uh, actually, I remember one last story. I remember the most frustrating thing she had to deal with was at Thanksgiving. I had the Sega CD at this time. This is probably a year later. Uh, 95. No, no, no. Let me take it back. I did have the Sega CD in 95. It did take me till then to get it, but I had rented the Sega CD. This is related to that same damn thing. It was a hundred bucks to rent it at Blockbuster Video to put down a hundred dollar deposit. My mom had no idea why they were charging her credit card a hundred bucks only to give it back to her. And you had to pay like 20 bucks and you got it for like a weekend. But there was this fun game you could play with Blockbuster around the holidays where for Thanksgiving, if you rented it Wednesday before Thanksgiving, Blockbuster, I think maybe it was open, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe they extended the weekend or something. It was like closed for a couple of days, maybe Thanksgiving and, and Black Friday. And so when you rented like a a two-day rental, which normally would have taken me through from Wednesday to Saturday. They let me keep it the whole weekend, and it wasn't due till Sunday night. Anyway, rented the Sega CD, and this would have been 93. So my parents were... Maybe they did stay together till my sister was like a little older than that, because my sister would have been two, Thanksgiving 93. But I do think, because that summer I'd gotten Mortal Kombat. Anyway, I'd rented the Sega CD. And I remember being just like inundated with great games. I had Mortal Kombat, the bloody version. Ha ha ha, fuck you, any Super Nintendo owner. Um, <clears throat> and I rented Sega CD. And there was a new game out. My favorite game was Night Trap. I loved Night Trap from the day Mike... Uh, my, my buddy, Mike, who, who lived by me, he was my best friend until he moved to Florida. Um, and he moved to Florida in 90, early 93, actually. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I remember when he, uh, got Night Trap and we loved the hell out of that game. And all we played was he got Night Trap. He got the Sherlock Holmes and the second classics that came bundled in. And that's all we played really. So that's probably why I liked Night Trap so much. Um, but it wasn't like controversial back then. Nobody cared. Even our parents like Went and saw it and thought it was funny. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I remember renting it and the sequel had come out, uh, Double Switch. And I don't even remember, they didn't tout it really as a sequel, but I was reading EGM, so I was in the know. EGM was very pivotal to all my information. Um, I think I would later get into hardcore game fan. And I had Nintendo Power, but like everybody else, you just kind of got it for the freebies. And you kind of read everything and looked at the screenshots, but you didn't really trust the editorial. Or at least I didn't come 1992. By the time I was 10, I didn't really trust Nintendo Power's editorial. Although I don't think I knew Nintendo owned them. I'm pretty certain I didn't. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, so I had I had rented Double Switch. Corey Haim was in it, and uh, I had recently seen License to Drive with my father. It was just like on TBS, so or, or well, it wasn't TBS at the time. It was probably a Turner Broadcast Station. Well, I guess that's what TBS stands for. But like it was that, or there was another one. Um, Maybe USA was where I saw it. But either way, I'd seen License to Drive. I knew who Corey Haim was. I would later see him in um, The Lost Boys. And, 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 and you know what? Now that I think about it, we had HBO. And I remember The Lost Boys specifically hitting HBO around that time. It's possible I knew The Lost Boys and had already seen Corey Haim in that. But either way, he was in this, in this uh, game. And I wanted to play it. And it was really cool because unlike Night Trap, you could actually pick the trap you would arm, and then trap people. Uh, and then there were parts of the game that weren't explained to me. So, for example, Arlie Ermey, the drill sergeant from uh, Full Metal Jacket, among many other great roles. Like, uh, he was also the grandpa in uh, the newer Texas Chainsaw Massacres and nailed those roles as well. But he has plenty of other fantastic roles other than these. Um, he's in it, and he plays... Uh, Eddie is played is the lead character, and you're assisting him in trapping bad guys who break into his uh, his mansion, and he's played by Corey Haim. Well, um, Lyle is his handyman. He doesn't trust him, and he's played by Arlie Ermey. And um, mild spoilers for Double Trap, you come to find out that Eddie uh, Lyle is Eddie's son. Uh, or no, Lyle is Eddie's father. <laughs> and uh, there's three acts in the game. There's act one where you're just fucking around. Uh, you're helping uh, uh, Corey Haim cap capture guys and you're protecting the girl he has a crush on and then in in act two they kind of hint eddie gives you access to his home base in the basement which you don't have access to and uh, he says keep an eye on my place and then lyle starts to talk to you and you're encouraged in act one to capture him for whatever reason, and I don't remember if it's explained in the instruction manual, but I don't think uh, I don't think Blockbuster Video gave me the instruction manual. They might have though, um, but I think they gave me that weird altered version of the instruction manual, which just had like the plot and like the controls like on the front of it, and it, you didn't actually get the manual. But I think you're not supposed to capture Eddie in Act Two. In fact, it's it's crucial that you don't capture not Eddie, sorry, Lyle, the handyman. If you capture Arlie Ermey's character in Act 2, you miss out on the secret traps that are in the house that you don't know about, that Eddie hasn't told you about. And there is a killer dressed up as a mummy trying to kill people. And when this mummy shows up, you need to use those traps because the mummy has access to the traps. Hint, hint, maybe you can guess who it is then. Um... And you're supposed to disable the traps because unlike Night Trap where you just hit the trap button when when they got near a trap, you saw a bar go up to red. In Double Switch, you actually had to know kind of where the traps were, which you didn't have a good feel for. They'd show you a map, but it didn't relate to anything because there were multiple camera angles. So you had to just kind of lose a bunch of times. This was game design in the, 30, in the 1990s, uh, especially when it came to CD-based games. Um, but uh, you kind of had to... Like, like learn where the traps were and then you would have access to them in the lower scale but you had to like arm them they had to be pumped by the b button three times and if there were multiple traps in a room you couldn't arm all the traps ready to go uh you didn't have enough like power there's like a power gauge and so you had to literally know what was going to happen and the game is not fully scripted certain events happen at the same time all the time but the way people come in and out 
is varied um, with a very basic algorithm. It's something that was, it's, it's probably predictable and laughable. You would know the scene once you'd played the game enough, even though it was a random time it was showing up. Um, so because of that, you would have to, um, you would have to, when the mummy shows up, you would have to stop him from arming his trap. And then you'd usually use that same trap or a different trap against him to capture him. And that's how you prevent people from dying. And if anybody died, game over. Well, I had to learn that the hard way over this Thanksgiving holiday. And so I was just starting to figure out that if you didn't capture Lyle, I think I forgot to capture him in one scene and he he showed, then he had to wait in the room and watch the scene, which was what you would normally do if you were like watching a movie. But in these video games, you're bouncing around the rooms trying to capture as many guys as you can. It's not normal for you to do that. But one way or the other, I ended up watching a scene and seeing him unlock a new trap. And I was like, holy shit. You know, well, I was I was a kid, so I was probably, holy cow. And then the mummy showed up later in that scene where I kept losing and I couldn't figure out why I was losing. And suddenly I realized, oh my God, he's arming that trap. I can use that trap and trap him. Boom, big discovery. Right when that happened, and every gamer knows this world. Fred, come to dinner. Thanksgiving dinner time. And mind you, we didn't, we lived in, in Illinois, which was away from a large portion of my mom's family who live in, in Kansas. And then definitely a large way from my dad's family who all live in, get this, Costa Rica. He's Costa Rican. There you go. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'd have to go to Thanksgiving dinner and I was just trying to shovel that food down so I could just run back upstairs and play. And that drove my mom nuts, but my dad was always kind of encouraging for it. Um, and I just, that's why double switch is so important to me because I never could get to act three. And as of recent, I have been able to get to act three, but by the time act three comes out, you know who the killer is. Everything's been revealed. The timing is just spot on and i have done this uh this new exploit where you can save the game to your flash cart your ram cart on your sega cd i have the sega cd ram cart and then you can you just copy it over so it's locked in there for forever because it it, sorry i should point out when you get to act two or three it saves it but you're only given three retries with each save and then they're gone forever well if you get the three retries and then you immediately without retrying copy that over you can be on act three ready to go with three retries saved on your flash cart or on your ram cart and then once your retries are up you just slap the cart back in copy over the thing but leave that save game also on the cart it wasn't a move only it would let you copy it so you could just recreate it and then you just have unlimited tries no matter how hard i try i can't get beyond like the first minute of that ending scenario and i'm fairly certain it ends in like three or four minutes. Like I feel like that's the home stretch. It's very difficult. And the timing is just spot on. On a CRT, I can't do it. So like, it's like, mm. but anyway, um, my dad was always very big on like, yeah, go do it, go try it. So it was very rewarding. And I think this is the part where I shift gears real quick to my dad. Um, so here's the challenging part about it, my dad. It was really in vogue in the 90s to blame your parents for everything. Um, there were songs about it. It was in a lot of pop culture. Um, I don't know if this was even related, but I, the Menendez thing was a big thing. And it was just very 
popular to have a shitty upbringing, blame your parents for everything, and whatnot. Now, for those of you crying foul from either generations before and after, I am well aware every teenage generation feels that their parents are the core root cause of all of their problems. I am aware of that. It just seemed to be a good time. Like it was like an automatic get out of jail free card for any time you were acting up to just blame your parents and then you'd be done with it. Fuck that. That's not true. So here's the thing with my dad. My dad is a traditional Costa Rican male. He, um, his dad never really had to watch the kids. Most of his, uh, I, I believe his brother, my uncle, uh, he has a very beautiful, but let's face it, trophy wife um, whose job was to raise the kids and now she is living in the lap of luxury and enjoying life the, the good way now that all the kids are grown up. But her job was to watch the kids. Well, my dad decided to date and <laughs> and marry an independent female who might now my father's a very successful chemist um he has worked for various companies i won't get into it but uh, he's an incredibly intelligent man had a great um mind for science specifically chemistry and he has assisted in creating pharmaceuticals and non like pharmaceutical based but non-drug related um different things that help things like premature babies live longer lives and whatnot. And now he's just chilling out. He went and uh, once he left a, a, probably one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the country, um, he moved to Florida, chilling out on the beach, works for a major, um, shall we say, consumer product group making, um, you know, uh, let's just say chemicals that uh, improve dermatological issues. And we'll just leave it at that. Um, but uh, but my dad, for all the science he's good at, uh, has always been kind of a dreamer. Um, he's always liked to have his head in the clouds and he always loves to live in the moment. It's probably why he, my father likes the bottle and not booze per se, more just specifically beer, light beer, cheap light beer. Um... But he, if he's an alcoholic, and I don't know that he is, he would be functioning. Um, he has always maintained a job, never lost his job, never driven drunk with his kids in the car, at least to my knowledge, never gotten a DUI to my knowledge, definitely didn't when my parents were together, um, and, uh, and this or that. That said, he definitely would get off work at 3, 3.30 and go straight to the bar without coming home and drink with his buddies and close that bar down only to get a ride home or take a cab home and um and even get this he even had buddies who were nice enough but also stupid enough to help him drive his car home meaning they drove the car and took all the risk but it was so that his car would be at home so he could get up and go to work the next morning um i had the local bar on speed dial on top of that my father uh, also uh, enjoyed uh, smoking marijuana, which I, it was never for me, but like I get it. Cool. I mean, that was another thing he did. He, I don't think he really combined the two, but he would do one or the other. Um, and uh, so to a certain extent, that's, that's a, an overabundance uh, of, uh, of just feeling good through better living through chemistry, right? Yet again, uh, and substances. At the same time, he just always wanted a heightened sense of awareness. I'm not making excuses for him. He takes full responsibility for his behavior and whatever. Um, but that was always the case with him. So everything was very emotional, I guess I would say. Uh, and maybe you've seen hints of that from me <laughs> in what you know about me from the podcast. 
podcast. Uh, on top of that, um, my dad just never really had... He didn't really. He found kids much more dynamic once we were old enough to walk, talk, drive, even drink by ourselves. He found us much more fun and dynamic in our twenties than he ever did growing up. Now he wasn't not proud of us. He didn't miss my plays. He was at Romeo and Juliet right next to my mom, even though they were divorced. Um, you know, he always supported us. But like when the hard work came in, when it was time to deal with, you know, your kid having a, a bad day at school or struggling with homework or just fucking being there for dinner, my dad couldn't, he couldn't make it work. And when my parents divorced, he was fine with my mom getting custody and he only wanted weekend visitations. And one weekend became, every other weekend became once a month. And uh, there was... You know, we never spent the night at his apartment. I never remember spending the night at his apartment. So he only had us for like eight hours uh, on Saturday and eight hours on Sunday, like every other, like every once a month, eventually. Uh, and again, that was kind of how he wanted it. But he loved us. He loved us. He showed care and compassion to us. He was the yin to my mom's yang. You know, there were parts of them that, that they didn't work out and they shouldn't have been together. But in one regard, my mom was kind of uptight about and a stickler about the rules. My dad was a little more laid back and not in a bad way where he'd just give you everything. My dad was actually probably more strict than my mom in the grander scheme. But, um, but like, my dad was the one who said, you know, my mom was like, no, we should be good. We should stay at home and save money and, and make dinner. And my dad was like, no, you know what? Tonight is a night to go to the local Mexican restaurant and have a nice meal just so we can all hang out and sit together and enjoy time together right and remember no cell phones um so I like that about my father. My father was the reason that I got to know music. My dad's a huge vinyl collector. Favorite band, The Beatles, but he loved all kinds of shit. And because of the pot, he loved prog rock. And probably not because of the pot, he also loved hardcore, you know, hard rock like Sabbath and and, and shit like that. And he, he just introduced me to all these wonderful things. And I wouldn't know anything. My mom introduced me to the light FM in the 80s, which is great. I'm really glad I know foreigners. I want to know what love is. But my father is the reason why I perk an eye up at uh, King Crimson. My dad is the reason why I know the story, the sordid, sordid story of Eric Clapton's life and what Layla really means and the whole story of Derek and the Dominoes and all that stuff. Like, he filled me with that information. I know who the Stones are. I know why. I know the importance of the Beatles and um, the sacrilege of, you know, uh, what people think Yoko did to them. This, this is all history stuff. What my dad offered me in music I offered to some other generation in video games like it was his thing he would do this thing there was this local station in Illinois call, uh, that did breakfast with the Beatles on Sundays and it was like a decree from my father he had this really nice stereo setup and um, every morning 7.30 in the morning my dad would be up because at 8 o'clock breakfast with the Beatles would come on. And it would go till like 11. And it was nothing but Beatles. Well, you know, and maybe it didn't go till 11. Maybe I just thought it was that long. Realistically, it was probably only an hour long. But my dad had to hear breakfast with the Beatles. And there was no reason to. He had every single album on vinyl right next to his stereo. But it was just something organic about hearing it on the radio, you know, and sharing it with us and not knowing what was coming next. It was just so fascinating. And there was something I really admired about my father in that. I still admire today. It's why I really like video game soundtracks and music as a whole I feel like music can be the acapella that uh, can that, that that like 
heightens, again, we go back to the heightened experience. It's not just begat through drugs and alcohol. Um, there are various things that can heighten an experience and music can definitely heighten the experience of various things, right? Like everybody's always said, like, look at Star Wars without John Williams score. And then with it, like it, it changes things, you know? And, um, you know, as you probably know, I would love to have music playing in the background while I'm doing all this, but I just can't. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, my, my, my dad just, he just failed when I needed him the most growing up and he really wasn't there for me, but at the same time, I love him and he was my dad and he would always be my dad. And there were parts that he was really good at. He took me camping an activity I hated because he put me in the boy Scouts an activity. I also hated life scout. Yay. Um, and, you know, he had me build my first regatta car, or regatta boat and my first, um, oh, what are they called? The box cars or whatever you would make with the wooden panels for uh, Pinewood Derby cars for, uh, for Boy Scouts. And he was the reason why I camped at Camp Crystal Lake. But he was also the reason why I saw R-rated movies too young. So I'd already seen Friday the 13th and I thought I was going to get fucking killed. And of course it fucking rained the night we went out to camp at Camp Crystal Lake. And I made him, he called me a fucking pussy and he was right. But you know what? I made him leave that campground at midnight in the pouring rain and dig up our tent and everything because I was so certain we were going to get murdered. And lo and behold, the rest of the Boy Scout pack did not get murdered by Jason Voorhees. And just so many other things. My first concert was Three Dog Night at seven years old, thanks to him. Um, he showed me the drive-in and why that was important. My mom always thought it was dumb. She thought the theater was a better place to watch it or better yet at home with a, with a tape. That's very much my mom, you know? Um, but my dad was like, no, it's the experience. It's being outside. It's having a pizza in your hand with the trunk popped open on your long station wagon and watching the movie, goddammit. The movie was the experience, you know? And he even, it didn't even take me to really good movies either. I think we saw Backdraft, which I know there's a Backdraft fan out there that's ready to kill me over that. But, you know, it was it, it was nothing compared to like when we went to the drive-in and saw Jurassic Park, right? Like that was huge. That was huge. And my dad still took us to those things afterwards. You know what I mean? So my mom was doing the heavy lifting, but my dad was definitely showing us the more fun side of the world. The problem is, is if you take the wrong lesson from that, all you think is that the world is about going out and having fun and it's all for me. And that was the downside. And there are plenty of stories where my dad fucked me over, but it's not important to get into those. And I don't resent my father. And to this day, I have a good relationship with him and I love the man. And, um, you know, you're only given, you're not given to choose who your parents are, but, uh, but, but I think my father embraced certain parts of um, living life um, that my mom's not a detriment for not, embracing it's just she didn't embrace it so it was the only way I could embrace it myself and I'd say the largest part of that would be video games uh, my father where my mother didn't really care my father was gung-ho with video games if you told my father that I was fucking like <laughs> I would have used the term Billy Mitchell up until recently since his scores got pulled but like that I wanted to be a professional video gamer my dad would have been like hell yeah my son should go do that you should absolutely do that he would have been behind me 100% wouldn't have financially backed me um, and he wouldn't have been along for the ride, but he definitely would have patted me on the back after the fact, right? Like he took me to the wizard and in the end he was like, Fred, do you think you, Freddie, do you think you'll do that someday? I could see you at Universal Studios kicking ass at that Mario three game, you know? 
And he goes, why don't you go home? Why don't we go home and I can, you know, you can show me how good you are at it. And dad, Mario 3 is not out yet. Oh, that's nice. Well, that's fine. I have to go out with some friends anyway. And then you go to the bar, right? But you know what? For that moment, it was magical. And uh, the first time, my, my father is actually responsible for most of my early um, run-ins with video games. And the first one would be uh, 1986. 1986. I was four. <laughs> four and a half. My father whipped out his Commodore 64. Um, Commodore 64 is as old as I am. He was born in 1982, as far as I understand. Um, so he'd had it for a while. I think he did it because he was using it to teach. He had some chemical formulas that he had built in basic on that. And it was helping him with that. He was also using it for limited word processing. Although I don't know how the hell he was printing it. We didn't have the printer, but I think he could have saved it on a big floppy disk and printed it up at work. Um, but yeah, he had that. And so he, and we had, we had a tape drive. But it was just the Commodore and a tape drive. And we hooked it up to a big old fucking boxed-in Zenith 27-inch. And these things were huge. Anybody who was alive back then knows it. But if not, you should see it. My dad, Zenith, buy American. Always buy American. Anyway. Um, and it was in this big wooden cabinet. And it was a 27-inch TV. But 27-inch TV was massive back in the 80s. And um, and we had this, this Zenith that it hooked up to. And... Uh, he had a game he really liked to play called Jumpman by Epix, E-P-Y-X. Not to be mistaken for Jumpman, Mario, and Donkey Kong and whatnot. Uh, it's a fantastic game. I've talked about it before. But before that, he had this cartridge-based game. Commodore 64 was a cartridge-based console, uh, microcomputer, shall we say, that hooked up to your TV for the monitor, but it did have a monitor you could buy. My dad didn't buy that. And then it had a bunch of accessories you could... Uh, hookup, including an Atari Aska joystick. I think we were actually using an Atari 2600 joystick in there because it was still the nine pin serial connection that's also akin to the Genesis connection, although the wiring's not the same, I don't believe. Um, and then you could have a tape drive. There was a, a serial port for the tape drive. There was also a disk drive. We never got the disk drive. But anyway, um, and uh, he had this cart called Kids on Keys. And he was like, Freddie, I'm going to show this to you. This is going to be frustrating at first, but I think you'll have fun with it. He plugged it in and he goes, these are letters. Do you see the letters? I said, yeah. And he goes, you know the letters? And I said, yeah, I know the letters, but I hadn't like formally done any schooling or anything. So I didn't have a strong grasp of the letters. And he goes, okay, these letters will start appearing on the screen and they will fall down from the sky. You need to try to push the letter button that matches the letters on the screen faster than they can fall. Can you do that? And I said, sure. And again, like all video gamers, three months later, I was really good at it. Like, not super good, but I was doing quite good for myself for a four and a half year old. You know what I mean? Um, but it got me used to the keyboard and used to letters and things like that. I wasn't good at spelling or anything. I, I never really understood the concept that this would lead to academia until you got into stuff where you would like actually read. Um, but it did familiarize me with a keyboard and Kids on Keys was a great piece of edutainment. Um, there might've even been other games than just the falling letters, but I never played them cause I couldn't read the damn menus and my dad would just hook that up for me and then disappear. You know, either went to the bar or went out back to smoke a joint or just went upstairs to take a nap. I don't know what the fuck he was doing, but, um, but yeah, I played kids on keys pretty religiously to the point that the Commodore was permanently set up. Then one day he decided I think it was around Christmas time, 86. Let's show you Jumpman. So he showed me Jumpman. I was about to turn five. And again, I, I wonder how my daughter would have done. I tried to show her NES, which was a big mistake. Um, she had learned on touch interfaces, so it was foreign to her anyway. The whole idea of like, 
pressing to the right would make your character move right and things like that. Super Mario Brothers was a bad starting point, yada, yada, yada. But I wonder if a joystick's a little easier to understand, and there was only one button on the joystick, so that was jump. Surprise, surprise. So when you play Epic's Jump Man, you're basically given a bunch of girders and, and connections and stuff like that. Um, I want to say it's almost somewhat similar to... Uh, I forget which one it is, whether it's Minor 2049er or maybe even to a certain extent Load Runner without any of the destroying stuff. You were just jumping around. And um, there were enemies that came on screen, but the bigger thing was there were bullets. There were these random bullets that just floated across the screen and they would just go and they would zero in on you. And you had to like kind of outrun them all while running around like Jumpman, and you'd go up, down, left, and right. It's still a fantastic game. I think there's even a, a, a browser version called Jumpman Forever, and of course it's on archive.org and stuff. But Jumpman was a lot of fun, and it was a legit copy. Yes, that's right, friends. It was a legit tape copy, and I remember being so excited when my dad would boot up Jumpman because this is how Commodore loaded, and this is absolutely accurate. You would put the tape in, You'd press play and it had to move all the data over. Well, that took a long time for 64K or 48K as it would be. Um, 64K of RAM, but you can only load up 48 on the program. And I think Jumpman was close to 42. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but it took like nine minutes. Like you literally had to play the first side for five minutes. Then it would stop. You'd have to flip the tape over. And then there would be like a command you would put in on uh, on the, the, the basic prompt uh, for the Commodore 64. And then you would play the other four and a half minutes and then it would load up. And <gasps> it's loaded into RAM. I can play it now. 64 KB of RAM. Um, but yeah. And so Jumpman was fantastic. Uh, and I am certain that my parents, they did buy me the NES. Um... I know for a fact they bought me the NES in 1987. This would have been Christmas 1987. And I got it. It was the Super Mario Duck Hunt one with the zapper. And I know my dad was behind that. And my dad always used to see... This was the other thing. My mom would sleep in. My dad would always be up with us. He'd get up at 6 in the morning and wake us up and say, Let's go see the presents. Let's see what Santa brought us. Let's go see. He loved that moment. He loved watching that stuff. And that is so my dad, right? That is, and it wasn't that my mom wasn't happy with it, but my mom was like sleepy. She wanted to get a cup of coffee, let the kids enjoy stuff. Very similar to how I am actually with my kids. But like my dad was up, he was up with us. He was just as freaking excited as we were, you know? And he it was, Christmas was a big thing. We'd have to watch the Christmas carol. We'd have to watch the Christmas story. He'd let us stay up late. There always had to be a roaring fire. We had a fireplace that was... Not a huge commodity in Illinois, but like it was, it wasn't super common. You had to kind of look for it in your house. And um, he always wanted to make sure it was real wood. No gas on that one. Real wood he would do. And he would carve that wood up or he would go out into the, the woods nearby there and, and, and pay somebody to cut down a tree there and, and carve it up for wood. But anyway, um, big deal with my dad. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and so I remember getting an NES and I remember him just loving watching me play it. And, uh, you know, for what it's worth, he was like, you know, I was like, oh, I want to hook this up. And my parents had given me a little like 12 inch TV or 14 inch color TV, um, that used to be in their bedroom, uh, to hook my Nintendo up. And my dad was like, no, no, no. But before we hook this up in your room, hook it up on the Zenith, you can take the TV this morning, you know, on Christmas morning and you can play. And I remember 
whether my mom thought it was stupid or not, I remember my my littlest sister who was probably just playing with the dolls she got or something because she, well, actually, no, 87, she was one. So she probably was just crawling around on the floor. My dad was probably having a beer by like 10, 11 a.m. on Christmas. My mom was probably on her third cup of coffee for the day. And everyone was sitting around watching me play Super Mario Brothers and get pissed off when I... Uh, you know, died because that was a frustrating game. And so begat the the lifetime of frustration I'd feel for video games. But, you know, I tell a story on the Gaming History 101 website uh, of, of 1988's Christmas. And that's how I knew. Um, I'd played, uh, I had played a lot of games. I had rented a lot of games. And, you know, uh, I, I kept changing my mind. For a while, I wanted Karate Champ. And then I wanted Excite Bike. And then I wanted Kung Fu based off a of Kung Fu Master. Then I went Castlevania, but Castlevania, that was one I knew I wanted, but no one could find it in stores. It like disappeared fucking in the back half of 1987. I don't know what happened to it. Uh, Mega Man 2 was cool, but my best friend Mike got it, so it didn't really matter if I got it. Um, at that time, we were living in condos. My dad had just moved to be with this pharmaceutical company, so we temporarily rented a condo for a year. And that's where I met Mike, my best friend, um, growing up until he moved to Florida a few short years later. Um, so we lived in the same apartment complex while my parents bought in their house that they would eventually live in. And, um, and so that's where I met Mike. So Mike had Mega Man 2. So why get Mega Man 2 for Christmas? I could just go across the hall to Mike's and, and play it, right? And we were best friends, so he could come over to my place and play it. So it came down to certain um, games. And the, the two that I was debating over, which a lot of people were debating over, was Mario t- Super Mario Bros. 2. Um, which I'd seen the, the pictures in Nintendo Power. It's going to be something different. It was weird. Um, and then Zelda 2. And there was not a lot of information on Zelda 2. I remember Zelda 2. Like, you saw the side-scrolling and stuff like that and then the jumping and whatnot, but they didn't give a whole lot of information on it. And um, Mario 2 was set in stone. Mario 2 was already in the stores come, like, October, I think. And, and again, there are release dates on Wikipedia and shit like that, but it's all bullshit. Like, it just showed up in stores, and you just got it as fast as you could. You'd grab the little sheet of paper at Toys R Us, and you'd go up to the guy who looked like he was selling guns behind the big glass cage, and he would hand you your game after you'd paid for it. You had to go pay for your piece of paper. Then you took your receipt and your piece of paper over to that guy, and he validated it. And he was behind, like, bulletproof glass. It was hilarious. He was in this little cubby just filled with sealed video games. Um, at least that's how it was in, in the uh, Vernon Hills, uh, which was another suburb right there. Uh, the Vernon Hills, Mundelein, and Libertyville are all kind of, like, sister suburbs in, in one big area that, that ac- accounted for probably damn near 100,000 people, um, if not more. Um, but, uh, but, yeah... Um, and, uh, and so I remember going to the Toys R Us and that's how it was. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, and, and, and so it was kind of set in stone, you know, you kind of pushed your parents enough and, and you knew what you were kind of going to get, but it was, it was a pretty foredrawn conclusion that Super Mario Brothers was going to, was going to be one of the games. And there was a box under the tree that was pretty sure it was Super Mario Brothers. And, um, my, uh, then Zelda came out. Zelda hit on like, I remember it was December. It was like December 4th or something. For some reason, December 4th is etched in my mind, but it might be like through osmosis because I've been reading enough information about the release of Zelda 2, but I remember it was snowy. I remember it was real close to Christmas. Um, and it was like, eh, Zelda 2, this is going to be a problem. Um, 
because I went to my mom and I said, you know, I really kind of want Zelda 2 more than Mario. I want both, but if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick Zelda 2. And I remember her going, Freddie, I don't know, you know, this and that. And my dad was like, well, you need to know. I'm like, this was my daughter. I just set the the one expectation out of the out of the air right there he goes you need to know you're not going to get both of them you know and i was like oh yeah yeah i know that and he goes okay well we'll see if we can find it and this and that and it was really hard to find and i helped my mom find it as service merchandise and then i was like you need to run out of work and go do this and she was like freddie i don't know if i can and again it was never a big priority to my mom and frankly my dad was probably two beers deep at the bar and he wasn't going to go do it um so anyway long story short there was only one game under the tree it was always the same game that was always there which i was pretty sure was mario 2 and um, we get to Christmas and I open it up and it is Mario 2. And I was a little bummed, but at the same time, I was appreciative. My parents were always like people who were like, be appreciative that you're even getting this. And um, they had a way of showing that to me. And so I was like, I'm going to be appreciative of this, even though I really wish it would have been better to do Zelda. And my dad did shit like this all the time. But he was like, Freddie, what's that over there in the corner? And he had, of course, hidden a present over in the corner by a stereo. Opened it up. It was Zelda 2. So I did get both games and I was really happy. Granted, a couple days later... Mario 2, I had nearly beaten, and Zelda 2, I couldn't even figure out how to get through that initial cave in the dark, so I was super frustrated with it. A guide would later come out and set me on my path, but I would never beat Zelda 2 till I was an adult, a grown-ass man, only probably like within the last decade. Um, but uh, but yeah, that was, that was a great story, and that was something my dad totally would do. My dad was the one where when Dragon Warrior was available free with a subscription Nintendo Power, he goes, yeah, Jane, why don't we get him a... a copy of nintendo power and i got it and got my free game you know uh and then the big one and i talked about this on the arcade episode was bill's pizza by us i was in Mundline. it's called bill's pizza it still stands today i actually went out there and with my wife did the pilgrimage and got to to eat there with her it was fantastic they gave you peanuts you could throw on the floor and they have real thin crust pizzas but they're really good so if you're ever out in Mundline, and i think there's another one in gray's lake illinois which is just north of there uh definitely check out bill's pizza and pub it's a great place and even though it looks like a bar atmosphere with lots of taxidermied animals and you're throwing peanuts on the floor great for kids my daughter's allergic to peanuts probably a bad place for her but otherwise yeah um great place and uh, and i you know as long as my daughter doesn't eat any peanuts she'll be fine and she knows not to eat peanuts and and even if she does she just gets an itchy throat it's not like she balloons up but they had video arcades there. And that's where I got to know a lot of my video arcades. That's where I got to be good at pole position. That's where I fell in love with Guns N' Roses Pinball by Data East. Um, and Funhouse, by the way, by Bally Midway. Which, fun fact, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, clown guy in Funhouse that, that talks to you, that's Ed Boon. Um, but the big one was Ninja Turtles. When Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I was a huge fan of, and my dad always loved how big of a fan I was, he always got up on Saturday morning and watched the cartoons with me. Again, my dad, not always there, but when he was there, boy, he really made the most of it. Um, and, uh, and, and I had started working my way through, I, I, it always pissed me off because they gave, while we were on the wait and waiting for the pizza to come, I was given 50 cents and it was just how quick could you get through them? And, and it was a quarter a piece. And so I always wanted to maximize my 50 cents. So I started getting better at the game. And what I really started to do was learn that if you were Donatello, which he's the best, he had the most range, you could keep guys away from you. And if you learn kind of the patterns of the boss, hit them, move around them, this, this kind of pattern recognition was very essential to the 8-bit, uh, especially, and definitely the 16-bit 
uh, era as well of uh, gaming is, is pattern recognition and being able to work around them. And eventually I got to the point where on 50 cents, um, my parents could be on like a 30 minute wait, get seated, order the pizza, have the pizza arrive and be almost done. And my mom's just like, Freddie, you, you have to get off that damn machine. And I would usually get to Krang at least on my 50 cents and people would watch me play because people would die out and then they run out of money and they'd, they'd watch me keep playing because I could just dodge stuff. And again, I totally exploited. I'm not without failure. I totally exploited the shit out of anybody who came in and didn't know what they were doing. I would let them be sponges for all the damage. Um, and it would be a short time later that final fight would hit that arcade and what's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, but my dad was always fascinated with watching me play these things, not actually in what I was doing, but the, the way I was excelling at them in some sort of like Tommy pinball wizard kind of way. And I wasn't really that good at video games, but because I was having fun and I thought I was good, that's all that mattered. And he thought I was good, right? He thought I was much better than I was. Um, but that was that was really admirable, and he still like appreciates that today. Like he'll never listen to this podcast, but he knows I do it, and he's always still proud of me for that stuff. And he always is fascinated that I do this stuff, and he always likes that I learn how to like work with old electronics and solder and tinker and stuff like that. So, you know, he wasn't always there. He's fucked me over plenty of times, and frankly, he's not the greatest dad in the world. But you know what? He's my dad and I respect him and I appreciate him and I'm glad he's in my life and it's been worth it from start to finish. The same is true of my mom, but my mom definitely, uh, you know, got herself, uh, you know, locked in as like, you know, a really solid parent very early on. You know what I mean? My mom took to parenting the same way she takes to everything in life. Full force, no breaks, get it done, do it well. Be there for your kids and not just be there physically, but be there for them. She would listen to all our bullshit stories. She would listen to all our breakups, all our heartbreaks, all our I'm scared of the darks, all that stuff. She dealt with all of it. Every time we threw up in our own beds, she was there cleaning it up. You know, my dad, on the other hand, he just kind of came and went. <laughs> but again, he was a he was very dense, very acute at uh, the experience when he was around. And I still appreciate that about the man today. And so I guess in closing, and that's how I'm going to close out this first episode, that's my parents. And that's where I came from. And that's the kind of values I take into being a parent today. Maybe not the whole being in the bar day and night. I actually haven't, outside of having lunch with coworkers when somebody picks a bar that's probably also a restaurant, I haven't really gone to a bar per se to have drinks in a long time. Um, but that being said, like, it, it was just really magical. And that's why certain games hold such a, a special place in my heart. Uh, my dad would eventually get me that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game. I have a home video of when I got that and how proud I was of getting it and how proud my dad was. He videotaped me doing a whole fucking presentation like I was, you know, what's his face on the Game Pro show. Like, um, and, and he's fascinated by it even today. And he's like, I got that for you. And I wanted you to open it Christmas Eve because I wanted you to know that you'll never have to go to Bill's Pub to play that again. You will every time you go, but you don't have to worry about it because it will always be at home with you now. You know, like he paid attention to that stuff. My father is the person who wouldn't buy 
the 360 version of a game that's also on Xbox One if I owned an Xbox One. He would pay attention to those details. He wouldn't buy Call he would if I asked for Call of Duty, he wouldn't buy Battlefield. He would only buy Call of Duty and he would make sure he got it right. And that's um, amazing. And so, like I said, um, those are my parents. That's why those those areas are um, very specific to me. And um, and you know, I, I I think I turned out okay. <laughs> and so I'm I'm very pl- proud. Both of them are my parents, and I'm very proud that I got to experience life thanks to them in the way that they allowed me to. Um, but enough about me. What about you guys? Anybody out there have any thoughts? Any Comments, concerns, decisions, discussions, anything? Eh, maybe we'll talk about it a bit. If you want to, you can write in at contact at GamingHistory101.com. Otherwise, uh, if you're listening to this in the podcast feed at GamingHistory101.com, there will be a post for it. Feel free to comment there, especially if you want to do something anonymous. Um, I don't check as to what you put as your name as to whether or not it's valid. Um, and I usually approve most comments, although I do ask that you keep it somewhat clean uh, because the webpage itself should be, you know, kept somewhat clean. Um, if you want some more, um, you know, I guess I would say, uh, semi, you know, foul language discussion points. Sure. Just uh, shoot them to me in an email and we'll discuss them elsewhere. Um, who knows? Maybe if I get enough feedback, I'll do in the weeks in between the episodes, I'll do a a feedback, you know, micro episode or something. Um, I think I'm going to make a new feed for this, but these will also go live in the gaming history 101 feed. So just so people know there's different ways to do it. But yeah, if you go to Gaming History 101, there should be at GamingHistory101.com slash feeds. Um, not feed. Feed is its own thing, but feeds with an S. Um, I, I'm going to try to build a, a, a thing because I have separate feeds you can use and put into your podcast listener so you can separate between Gaming History 101, Gaming History X, even the years of Gaming History 101. Do you want year one? Do you want year two? Blah, 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 blah. We're in year seven, by the way. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned for all that. Um, and uh, next time, I think I'm going to talk about... Hmm. I think I'm going to talk about uh, friends. Um, my friends, my, my buddies growing up, uh, in my formative years, my preteens and my teenage years. So the topic of the next one's going to be friends. Um, and, uh, I always like to close with music. I love music, things like that. And, um, and there, there's a particular song, uh, that, uh, I heard growing up, that that really connected with me of course because it's an actual song by an actual band um i can't play too much of it but i'll do the little fun 30 second excerpt or whatever um but this is by the band a yellow card and this is the song uh, life of a salesman uh, it doesn't really apply to my father but at the end of the day the the lines that are given of which i will try to capture as much as i can um they resonate with me given my my upbringing. So there's two ways you can go with that, right? Cats in the Cradle or this. Uh, this is more of an appreciative song of your father. So, and again, I want the record to show, love my mom to death. She is a saint. She is wonderful. And she is probably the strongest parent I could ever have asked for. Um, she took a majority of the beginning of this episode. So don't think I'm selling her short. I just had to. My father is harder to understand and appreciate and and, and doesn't seem as redeeming. Uh, whereas in my eyes, be they clouded in judgment or not, um, 
he's all right. So anyway, with that, love my parents. And here is Yellow Card's uh, Life of a Salesman. Peace out. Oh,